A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Now back to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3 FM. Happy Saturday. Welcome to the Marketing Mad Men. Trip Job and Nick Constantino here. Welcome back, Nick. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I think we've got a nice timely conversation, one I enjoy. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about market research. Yep. And the other thing, I mean, I just got back off the road from four weeks in a row, and three of the four weeks were uh, sustainability-driven you know, conferences, and these are not trade shows, okay? Um, you know, there might have been a few booths here and there, but these were content-led conferences. And, um, you know, there's there's a part of it I laughed. I said my, my brain's a little, uh, you know, a little stretched out and sore from listening yeah, to all it. the engineers I and chemists it. and all that. It's got to start somewhere, though. Yeah, well, and I think it's, it, it's a huge topic. And so, yeah. you know, these are major conferences in New York and Washington, D.C., uh, and then one here in Atlanta as well, um, you know, in the environmental space. But I think the, you know, the point is market research, you know, first, and then we'll, we'll jump into the, the topic. But, you know, I, I hear a lot of people right now with the, you know, economy in flux going, well, maybe we should hold off on market research. Yeah. Which over my 30 years in the industry, I'm like, when should you do research sure. when you don't know what's going to happen? Sure. Sure, and you have more time. So I'm going to throw the show up on, up on its butt right here and do a, a Nick rant to start. Yeah. Okay. So what I love about sustainability is it's a, you're always a hippie. It's always the hippies yeah. that want to do all this stuff until all of a sudden there's business involved. Then everyone jumps behind it, and the Republican Party that's screaming global warming doesn't exist all of a sudden is behind green energy because there's cash involved. So I think we've come to that intersection now where the money's involved and everyone's treating this like this is something we have to do. And I think that just happened. And to that point, a couple of – so the one in D.C. last week was the um, Bioeconomy Leadership Conference. And Boeing, United Airlines, both those two use kind of the terminology that, you know, it's always been, um, hey, do good, do good for the environment. And that's your point, your hippies or whatever. We've now got to the point that we need to do good and do well. And that that takes the business side of it. For and sure. And it requires there's an specifics. opportunity. It requires it. specifics. I think it's for the first time we're acknowledging maybe the flaws in our federal government and maybe the flaws that these corporations have this goal and these things that they have to be held accountable to. Um, but again, I think the reason this is timely is because this is a very real conversation now. And I oh. think the companies, the reason we're talking about market research, the companies that were late to this, that didn't have this plotted out based on their market research, are playing catch up. And this is going to substantially change the nature of business. Business. You know, you you even have for the first time ever. Do you know how much money is being invested by gasoline companies and alternative fuels? You, if you would well, ask me twenty years ago, thirty years ago, if that was going to happen, I'd be like, you're out of your freaking mind. I, and now they are investing time, the wind, the solar, the the carbon offsets, all this crazy stuff. It's all there. Well, and, and the deals that that we were talking about, some of the developers and all that. I mean, this conference had the technology companies, the operators, the DOE Department of Energy was there, the U.S. Department of Agriculture was there. Um, you know, there were these are billion billion dollar deals that are going on 
to put in some of these plants. And guess what? The airlines are there because they want to see it happen. You know, they need sustainable aviation fuel. Um, it, it was it was actually very interesting because one of the f- first times in my career I saw the 360. Even you know Goldman Sachs um, and several other the big banks. Yeah, the lenders were there. Everybody was there because they all had a stake in it, and they see yeah. that it is starting to be real. But you're right. But, but so they need more information. Let, let's frame this the right way. Yes. We're, we're acting like this is sudden, right? It's sudden yeah. to the public. But these have been conversations that have been happening now. I think COVID sped a lot of this stuff up because there were yep. more people having more discussions. But this behavior of the Gen Z, late millennial generation was what's forcing this change because I think everyone realized, like, it is very hard to go day to day and not realize – Something has changed climate wise right. storms. I mean, I was out the other day. It was it was it's not even summer yet. And the size of the hail that landed on my uh, on my porch, like, oh, it landed on my car. I was you, going to the you airport. It's to be crazy to not yeah. to, to not think. So I yeah. think that 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 is sped up. I think growing up a generation where, you know, recycling is something you almost take for granted. This is all sped up. And this market research was being done probably three, four, five, six years ago to determine this was something of importance now. So I think that's oh. what we're talking about is when do you do that market research? Now, I, I do believe, and I think we talked about this in the previous show, the concept of market research has been sped up a lot by the internet, by the rise oh, of absolutely. data and analytics. And I mean, you want to do market research, you can do a Facebook study, you can do an A-B test over three months, and you will get more succinct data for less money than you would have gotten at any point previously. But that being said, that is not a strategic, science-based, control study group like you're supposed to do it. Right. And depending on what type of research you're looking for. So, I mean, there's pricing studies, there's market, um, you know, assessment studies. There's a lot of things that you can do to your point. And, you know, in these markets, a lot of this actually, I mean, some of these technologies have been around, you know, they kind of kicked off in about 2011. All right. But a lot of people didn't pay attention. Yeah. Right. And so now it's starting to your point. There's been more noise. I think the first, and and I'm going to miss this up from the conference, but I think the first flight with sustainable aviation fuel actually occurred either in late 2016 or early 2017. So there's been a, a bit of it out there, but it's still less than 1% of all fuel yeah, that's being and, used. And, and look, R&D, one of the big parts of this all that people don't talk about is when you tend to go towards economic downturn recession, R&D is one of the first things that gets slashed across the board. And the only way you come up with these fuels, it is ungodly expensive to do the research to get sustainable fuels. I'm glad we can get cars that right. go on batteries. Do you know how big the battery would have to be in an airplane to get oh. to a point? They exist, but you're talking 20 years away from this being a feasible thing where planes are going back and forth that way right and there's still boeing still talked about that that's one part but it's not the the they're still to flying get there. they're making 2030 commitments making 2040 commitments as far as well they're carbon. still flying planes from the 1970s yeah. in rotation right now i think they just retired what well, 737 was just retired now they flew that plane in the 70s yeah just retired meaning they stopped making Inage. them making them which means they'll fly for 20 more years to give you some idea i've heard studies that have said out of all of the industries in this country one of the least progress the industries is actually the airlines. Yeah. The planes have not changed fundamentally in, in other than how much they can cram your little legs into a space. Well, they have not changed much in, in, in time well, at all. On an aside, someone I heard a joke the other day that said, you know, I think during COVID, the, the airlines took the time to actually make the seats smaller. And I, I think I agree after getting back on a plane for the last uh, few weeks. So. Well, you know, it's funny. <laughs> it, it, I mentioned another podcast. So Freakonomics, uh, one of the ones I listen to, love it. Try to be, front, create a lot of the show based on the content I hear there. 
they talked about the airlines. They talked about the irony of the airlines is is that we have we take it so for granted that the littlest things make us have a bad experience. Yet we yeah. fail to realize that 50 years ago you'd have to get on a boat to go across seas, and now we get on a plane, right. we land in another country, in another time zone, another continent, with without a single hiccup, yep. we get off, we get off the plane, and we're there. Yeah. So until you sit back and you realize what you've just done, and I think people who travel more actually are more adverse to it, that they're okay with it, because they realize yeah. the miracle. Could you imagine driving to L.A.? Could you imagine? You think it sucks to get on a plane? Could you imagine oh. driving to L.A.? I mean, I did early in my career. I used to drive sometimes from L.A. to Phoenix. You talk about it. Just that is a, a barren drive because I did L.A. to Vegas. I did L.A. to Vegas. I used to have to do it at night after work, and you know, going through the desert at ten in the night, oh, and man, there's I, no lights. Yeah. So when they say when when you drive and you see things, going to the desert, you see things. Yeah. That, that desert away, that is a very real thing. Yeah. You see things. So yeah. I'm, I'm so with let's you. let's go back to seeing things. Let's go back a little bit to market research because we are in state of flux. And again, uh, throughout my career. I fought this at times early in my career where, you know, someone above me would say, hey, you need to cut your budget um, in a bad time. And market research was always the thing you kind of in and out. So a lot of times you'd take that out because you didn't want to stop campaigns. And then when things were good, oh, yeah, you can put the research back. But, you know, after probably the first cycle, cycle and a half of my career, I realized, wait a second, this is backward. Yeah. Right. Um, when things are in flux, when things are bad, or when you need to really get better information about what's going on around you. When things are good, yeah. actually, that's when you can pull back. You, you know, I, I agree with you, but I think one of the things about any kind of market research is control groups. So, like, what you should be doing is doing a long-term study, yes. a mid-term study, and a short-term study. This way, if some one of those gets altered, at least you have the data to compare to with the short-term. Because a short-term plus a long-term, term. you could probably get a good guess of what your mid-term is. So, I think one of the problems is not that they're not doing it. They're not setting up the right studies, which goes back to yeah. statistics and, and science to you need those control groups. What is your baseline that you're going up against? Market research is great, but if you don't have a standardized baseline, then what the hell are you comparing it to? Great point. And, you know, you, that way maybe it is – maybe if you're in a situation where you have to have a better year to do that first big larger baseline, but then set up – work with that company that's doing the research for you unless you're a mega company and have your own team – to plan those ongoing smaller yeah. touch base that works off of it. Yeah. And you don't need it to be as large. It can be a third of the size, but it keeps going time and time. Yeah, and, and one this is this has come up recently with us. So as the Braves radio network is very hard to quantify the amount of people. A lot of these markets are small. There's just too many variables. Yeah. So YouGov was paid by the Braves to do this. Okay. So YouGov came back and said the Braves Radio Network has five point three million listeners. Wow. I don't want to know how the sausage is made. I don't want to know how they yeah. came to that number. One, because I'm paying somebody else to do it. But two, do you? sometimes it's better to just – there are established industry leaders for a reason. Yeah. right? If you nitpick every single thought process and how they went about it, it's just never going to work. You can't do the research yourself. You're paying somebody else. Let them do the research. Let them come yeah. up with it. Don't aggregate the studies because at some point, these people have credibility for a reason. You use these people for a reason. If you went and said, I want to see exactly how I came up with that study, one, your head will come off, and two, you can't yeah. do it yourself, so trust somebody else to do it the right way. Yeah, well, no. And 5.3 million is a lot of freaking listeners. Yeah, well, no, and I think your point is trust someone else to do it. So, um, you know, when we come back from the break, uh, fortunate we've got a good friend of mine. And yeah, let's let people who's... talk about this that know yeah, what they're talking actually, about. They're not going to talk about 
in it over a long <laughs> period of time. They're not going to talk about hallucinating in the desert. All yeah, right, fair and enough. so we'll uh, we'll welcome uh, in uh, Matt Stone from Prima Markets, uh, and again he's going to tie in the sustainability side of things too because he's been doing this from uh, many aspects, from uh, the journalistic aspect to the financial aspect. Now, true market research. And pre-warning, he is from across the pond, so don't retune your radio. That's an yeah, accent. Yeah, that's actually that. So yeah, versus the southern accent. So anyhow, you're listening to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3. We'll be right back. Are you a physician who wants to build your interests and passions into your primary care practice in the Bay Area? If so, join One Medical in partnership with UCSF. Feel free to explore and develop specialized skills with our full company support. We're transforming healthcare for all, and we can help you transform your career. Join our supportive, growth-minded team and go all in with One Medical. You will have dedicated admin time and no on-call schedule. Sign-on bonuses are available. Visit onemedical.com careers to learn more and to apply. Now back to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3 FM. Welcome back to the Marketing Mad Men show on Extra 106.3. Trip Job here. You know, Nick and I were just talking in uh, the last segment about uh, market research. And, you know, through my career, um, I have uh, been one who has been at times hesitant, sometimes uh, delving into market research and uh, even conducting some research on my own. But, um you know, I think uh, we're fortunate uh, to have with us a uh, friend and uh, someone who uh, built a, uh, a business intelligence and market research company. So um, got uh, Matt Stone with Prima Markets. And Matt, welcome. Hi, thanks very much for having us, Trip. Great to be here. It's, uh, it's great to have you across uh, across the Atlantic as well, as those uh, listening can tell. Yeah. A little bit of accent. So, uh, Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, a little bit about you know the core of what Prima Markets does. Yeah. Okay. So uh, my name's Matt Stone, um, as you rightly point out. So I'm uh, I'm from the UK, um, and most re- recently I've been engaged after a long career in in journalism in building Prima into being um, a, a data and market research and business intelligence company which. Uh, has a pretty sizable following now across the um, the decarbonisation space. So we really specialise in the energy transition, all of the stuff that's going on with um, the switch from high carbon fuels to a to a bright future where we're not polluting the world anymore. Yeah, no, there's there is so much going on, and as Matt and I have been starting to work together, and you know, I see more and more uh, some of these conferences and events. It's it's, it's such a uh, intriguing area and it's one that you know I didn't know a lot about I obviously know a lot about uh, you know the, the forestry industry but the fact that uh, there's so much investment going on right now to um, to build out using old industries into new pathways you know for technology so you know why don't you I think it would be helpful for um, some of the listeners is to tell us a little bit about how you started Prima Markets and how you thought about building you know, a market research company, because that's, you know, that, that, that to me is intriguing. I've always, you know, found uh, companies that have been there, but, uh, you know, building it on your own. Yeah, so, so essentially Prima is a bit of a mishmash of a bunch of different sets of experience that I had. So I'm a, I'm a, a journalist by trade, um, started out um, covering logistics, uh, markets and solution solutions and then migrated from that into covering commodities so uh, 20 odd years ago covering energy commodities just as those markets were starting to liberalize and trading was really starting to take off worldwide 
Um, so I went from doing that through various uh, various different jobs and roles to working for a while as a broker and uh, alongside that doing more kind of institutional research into industries and industrial structures and kind of Prima was born out of the idea that the institutional research side misses some of the kind of shoe leather type stuff that reporters are really good at and, yeah. and the reporting side misses some of the kind of more structured research that you know researchers are really good at so I think what we've developed over the years is a really nice mix of the two so we can structure information that that people find really insightful and interesting to read um, but we're also doing the kind of on the ground sort of chasing down the story type stuff as well and there's a bit of both and and uh, it's an approach that people like well and I think what I found over the years is in research uh, research you know spawns from a couple different areas one um, you might have markets that just aren't as dominant or as large, mm -hmm. right? So um, how do you get information? I don't want to come back to that. Um, that's, you know, a lot of what, uh, what I focused on in some of the specialty, you know, forest products arenas. And then the other way, I think some people probably think about it is they get asked to be in a focus group or something from large consumer products companies. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, the, the research firms aren't doing as much on, um, you know, the base research. You know, it's the companies themselves that want very specific, and that's why they start doing focus groups. So, I mean, I think those are kind of two areas that research has always kind of, to me, jumped out. Um, you're very much on the, hey, let's let's find these areas that are interesting to you. Mm -hmm. You're a commodities trader. Yeah. And um, you really kind of dove in. So, you know, it's not one or two people. Right, and I think that's one of the keys when you look at research. So, tell us a little bit then about you know building uh, Prima up and, and how expansive is Prima today? What uh, what does it look like to uh, to be able to understand these markets better than anyone else? Yeah, so we started off with a couple of people um, at Prima, so myself and um, another guy called Lucas, who's been working with me since the beginning. Um, helping me structure a lot of the information that I had in my head that I wanted to put together. I had a background in the industry before, so I, I was familiar with um, the biofuels industry um, as it started out. And then essentially what we've been doing since then is just building more and more and more what I call data maps. So we're constantly adding to the level of coverage that we have. And now we've got to the stage where I think we've, we've built up a pretty formidable overview of how the sort of low carbon segments of particularly the transportation fuel industry tie together. So let me just add a bit of colour to that. So what I'm talking about here is we are covering everything from soybeans in Brazil through um, ethanol markets in Japan and, and everything in between. So what we're really trying to do is figure out how a change in one part of the world affects the whole rest of that market. It's it's kind of like when a butterfly flaps its wings, there's a you know, there's a there's a hurricane somewhere else. It, that's the general philosophy and certainly it's always fun trying to figure out what's coming down the track, but more important, it's extremely useful for people even if they don't agree necessarily with what we're saying. 
they can understand the reasons why we're saying it and then they can use that information to make decisions about their own business yeah, and we're you know we're here at a conference that uh, is really about some of these uh, you know biodiversity efforts and alternative fuels is just one piece of it but I think what's interesting is you know in the two days we've had discussions with um, large consumer products companies who have their own fleets so they're thinking about we need to understand a little bit more should we be going to you know biofuels for these fleets versus EVs mm. or some and I think what they, they said is they're going to do some combination but where do they look at it how do they look at it you know you've got uh, the investment community is looking at making these um, investment decisions on these projects yep. And then you've got, uh, you know, boy, we see it all the time, um, the energy companies themselves, you know, the BPs, the Exxons and others of the world that are here, and the airlines, because that's a huge area. So it, I think that's the wonderful thing about what you're doing is you can touch so many different parts of that, as you said, ecosystem yep. and value chain. Yep, exactly. And, and ultimately, this is all about the same thing, which is we've become accustomed to a certain lifestyle, which is built on, you know, modes of consumption which are not which are damaging the planet and it's about how can we get to a future where we're maintaining a, a standard of living that everybody wants to maintain but we're stripping out the negative aspects we're stripping out the damage and i think that's where increasing um incre there's increasing involvement across the entire international economy which is all pushing the same way which is how can we be increasing productivity, enhancing people's lives, but doing it in a way that is fundamentally sustainable. Yeah, no, I think um, that's great. And so one of the things that um, I get asked a lot is, so how do you do it? You know, how do you, you know, all the data that you're able to process, you know, how are you able to, you know, give that market insight? As you said, <laughs> from soybeans to use cooking oil, to palm oil, you name it. Um, how are you able to, you know, get that information and on a, you know, it, it's a pretty relative, um, not real time, but pretty close um, type of, uh, um, you know, model? So there's various different ways of getting information, um, but I think the, the basic thing I would say is that information breeds information and for information to make any sense, it has to have a structure. So I think one of the things that we've been quite, quite good at doing is generating information, putting it into a structure that gives us insight into a particular market or a particular sector of the economy. Um, and then we'll take that insight and we'll use that to build relationships, to look for the next bit of the puzzle, um, to get more information, to try and inform what it is that we're trying to figure out. And, and again, we're spending a lot of time just figuring stuff out. So when, when you have a bit of, of structure around some information, whether that's in an Excel spreadsheet or a table about maybe some legislation that you're trying to understand, it's only by having that structure that you can start understanding what the next questions you need to ask are. I think that's a key, key area. And you know, one of the things I've found over the years for companies that try to kind of do it on their own is a they probably don't have the structure number one and then that allows for bias to come in questions and i think to me that's the biggest when you go it alone um, the biggest challenge because even if you think you're asking a question in a way that's just straight down the middle 
it, more often than not, it isn't. You're almost yep. in a way biasing and leading yep. to your, your point of view. So Yeah, and, and I would say again, so as an information provider, one of the key functions that, that we we provide is we're doing something that companies most for the most part don't do. So if you're a beverage maker, you make beverages, but it's not necessarily your job to go out there and figure out yourselves what's happening in, in the wider market. And I think that's where independent voices are particularly important because we come at this from a neutral standpoint. We, we, we don't have any particular sort of corporate axe to grind in terms of the way that we, the way that we see the world. And those viewpoints are extremely valuable for companies whose, again, it's that their main competence isn't information, it's, it's producing a particular type of good. So like anything, the, the more you specialize, the better you tend to get at it. Yeah, no, I, I know from having to make presentations to the boards, you know, at times, um, when you, based on that market knowledge and that market information, own internal sources, it has a different perspective versus Prima Markets or some other company that you've engaged in yeah. to get that information. Yeah, and, and, and again, I think in large part that's why people gravitate towards different types of media companies. It's for that neutral stance. You're not necessarily trying to push an, an, an internal agenda that's going to bias information that's generated within an organization. So it's, it's a different function. It's a different culture. It's a different skill set. Yeah. So, you know, within Prima itself, give us a little bit of background of kind of the, the types of individuals and everything that, uh, you know, goes into to making up. Because I know it's, it, it's research, it's, you know, you still have some of the journalist side of things. And yep. uh, give us a sense what, uh, what that looks like. Yeah, so we, we have a really good team of, of, of people from various different backgrounds. We've had people that have worked in um, computational finance. We've had people that have worked in... Um, other types of very sort of mathematical disciplines and what I would say is that different skill sets and different backgrounds bring different attributes to the company so people who have a very good background in spreadsheets again they really help us on that structural side but some of my own um, um, thoughts about the way that people's background might colour how, how good they are at other facets of the job like people skills I've been surprised time and time again so we, we've, we've had people from um, very data heavy backgrounds who've turned into um, relationship people par excellence and, and, and once they get started they just can't stop so again it's um, it, it's a combination of things being a good writer is great and you know that really helps you grab the reader's attention but in order to produce information that people find valuable there's so many different facets of relationship skills and data skills and understanding legislation language skills as well I mean again it's it's a huge advantage if we have people who are native speakers um, in languages um, which pertain to countries which are very important in our industry. Yeah, I mean, you've got, uh, obviously, you're getting information from all over, obviously, from China and uh, Asia. Uh, Argentina is a huge yep. part of uh, this market. Yep. And, of course, the U.S. and Europe and in many places. So 
Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, it's 2023, you mentioned legislation and other things. What, what are you seeing? What's the, um, you know, what are the challenges out there that uh, Prima is trying to solve for, you know, its clientele? Uh, I mean, I guess the really big challenge is um, international governments have signed up to a commitment to do their best to keep global temperature rises to one and a half degrees. So that's pretty clear. If you look at some of the best analytics out there, we're going to cross that threshold in, there's a very specific date, I think it's August 2034, is when global temperatures will be rising above one and a half degrees centigrade. And then if you look at what the scientists say, you know, various degrees of, of climate catastrophe will be upon us. So there's a huge challenge um, in terms of in a very short space of time, reducing um, carbon emissions to an extent that we can maybe manage some of this change and, and, and prevent it from happening. Otherwise, you know, the, the, the catastrophes. I, I think there's a general understanding that we're seeing more wildfires, we're seeing more hurricanes, we're seeing more flooding. We're seeing more things that are having a negative impact on people's lives. So how do we get to a position where we're, we're reducing the chances of those things happening without reducing everybody to eating grass. Right. I, I think that's, that, that, that's the compelling thing from our point of view. It is a huge challenge for every industrial sector, every consumer as well. Well, and I think the companies, whether you're in the industrial sector or you are even in technology, you're, I think most company leaders now are, they are studying it and in some cases, you know, either starting to address it and, and, and probably the most aggressive, committing to something. Not everyone's committing, but at least mm -hmm. I think most people are aware and looking at it. So, um, you know, think about what, um, you know, what are, what are the questions you're hearing right now from that, that sector? Uh, the, the questions are really, again, I think we're almost past the stage of, of, of people saying why. And, and like you say, I think there's a general understanding that there is an increasing prevalence of, of, of bizarre behaviours in weather systems. And, you know, we're in New York right now, and I used to live in New York 20 years ago. And, and again, the, the snowfall here is, is lighter than it used to be. The climate is visibly changing in different parts of the world. So once we've made that assumption that, that, that something needs to be done, really we're coming down to the question of how do we do this? How do we do this in a very short space of time? And I think the answer that we've come to within Prima is we're actually going to need a little bit of every solution that man can think of to try and get to the results that we're trying to achieve. So it's going to be an element of technology, an element of being smarter about what we're doing, more efficient. Um, just having a bit more of a, of a holistic view about how we want to behave as, as consumers and businesses. And, and once we start adding all of that up, you will get to a situation where you are start, starting to make meaningful change and meaningful progress. And then hopefully we should start to see that at some stage reflected in slowing climate data. So is that part of why you've started to look at uh, even more alternative fuels and other areas of interest? Because it's not a, 
you know, one-size-fits-all solution. There, there are silver bullets not going to solve it. it. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution, and it's going to need innovation and smart thinking across every facet of the economy. So we try and map everything that we can possibly think of. So we, we cover all of the um, low-carbon fuel solutions that currently exist, that are, that are sort of viable and, and widely consumed. We've also gone into modeling the stuff that we can see coming down the track that's gonna be much more technology dependent. And then we're starting to look at all of these issues and working with companies and subscribers to understand where capital should be allocated, how capital should be allocated, what type of delivery timelines should we expect when we're allocating capital to a particular type of technology. And then we're trying to put all that into a structure so that a subscriber could look at that report or piece of information and say, there's a bunch of stuff that we could do, but here's my top three. We want to do right. these top three because they're going to give you the, your best bang for your buck and in the shortest space of time. So let's go for those. Yeah, and I think that's a key point, regardless of what industry you're in and what research is, you know, when you're making those decisions is, and I've seen it many, many times, people wait and, until they get to a roadblock to go do the research. And then, you know, you already talked about, in this case, the, the length of time might be two years, three years for some of these projects to, to work all the way to uh, commercialization. And if you're waiting to get that research, you know, until you hit a roadblock, you might just be adding another six months to the process. Exactly right. And again, it, it, it's about looking towards, it's looking at the trend, it's looking at the way that things are going, and it's, it's using what we know now to inform best decision making to get the outcomes that we want to achieve in the future that are optimum, both in terms of being produced in the shortest space of time and also being able to deliver what it is that you want to deliver without making mistakes. Right. You know, one of the things for uh, the listeners out there is if you are starting to work with um, a firm, what are some ways, I mean, you've been doing it a long time, I know the processes and the steps, but, you know, how can someone spot something that may not be as robust or as clinical? And, you know, you really need to be careful what you're buying into. I think it would come back to, to, to the basic question of, of the, the basic aspect of just asking the right questions and, and showing a degree of skepticism about any promise that you're presented with. So the whole climate space is going to be like any other industry. I mean, you can take any number of examples, but I guess one of the cycles that we've been going through recently is crypto. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've had a whole hullabaloo and, and stories spun all over the place about how blockchain and crypto are solutions for XYZ problems and it kind of hasn't worked out so well recently. And again, I, I spend a lot of time reading what you might call voices in the wilderness and actually what these people were saying two, three years ago has come to pass. And all these guys were really doing was just casting a degree of skepticism on claims that were being made and just just questioning um, you know, whether or not some of these things were fit for purpose. And I think that's a generally good approach, which is if somebody's making a claim about something, does it stand up? Does it seem realistic? Does it seem like a complete outlier? 
And is there data behind it in some cases? Exactly and right. Is there data behind it? And, and I think the other thing um, before we go to the next uh, segment is, you know, if a firm is going to promise you they're going to get the the data you want or the the uh, answers you you're looking for, that's already a problem because then they're they're doing it for bias as well. So uh, you're listening to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3. We'll be right back. Now back to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3 FM. Welcome back to the Marketing Mad Men. Trip Job here with uh, Matt Stone of Prima Markets. And, you know, one of the things uh, we're, we're getting to that point where uh, we're seeing, I think, uh, gas prices started to go up a little bit. I've heard the, you know, some of it is, okay, now we're getting summer fuel, which is a little more of the uh, ethanol-based fuel. Um, and we're hearing more and more about are there different levels. So give us a sense, maybe both in the U.S. and uh, the EU, a little bit about, you know, what, what is going on with uh, ethanol or other based uh, fuels for consumers? I know we get in, you know, get biodiesel for commercial applications and all that, but give us a sense of, you know, how things are playing out. Yes, I mean, how things are playing out at the moment, um, you have a 10% blend of ethanol which goes into your gasoline, that's been pretty constant. But I think there's a there's an increasing recognition that um, probably consumption of decarbonized fuel needs to go higher faster. And now the big debate is about how to achieve that. At the same time, and I, I think last year was a really good example of this, um, after the, the war in Ukraine, there was a big uh, concern about whether or not it was sustainable policy to be consuming more agricultural product for energy. So actually one of the trends that we're seeing really taking off now is the desire to make more and more biofuels out of stuff that isn't going to have an impact on, on food prices. and. The net result is more and more waste product is ultimately being converted in, into biofuel. So stuff that would otherwise, you know, go in the trash, go down the drain, whatever, um, is now being converted into usable fuel. For me, that's that's a good example of doing stuff smarter, more efficiently and creating something useful out of something that otherwise is just garbage. Yeah, and I think it's one of the, the few cases where the governments are trying to instill, let's don't let just uh, capitalism, so to speak, drive highest and best use, which is what you said could have been, hey, all of a sudden we could have food shortages. Well, what does that do to the economy and, and our yeah. communities and civilization? So Yeah. Um, so when you talk about waste products, and, and we'll just spend a second on this, but uh, yeah, there's some interesting things. I know you track, but uh, give us a, a sense of maybe the top three to five kind of uh, base feedstocks that end up going into uh, you know the biofuels today. Yeah, so I mean, there's a, there's an age-old saying in the UK um, that where there's muck, there's brass. So <laughs> you know, where there's trash, there's money. In this business, it's certainly true. So we spend more and more of our time tracking wacky kind of streams that people would never have considered considered usable for fuel applications. Um, and those range from um, used cooking oil. So, you know, basically uh, the oil that people are flying, frying potato chips or, uh, you know, fried food of any description. 
that's actually become a major component of, of the biofuels industry in the US and in Europe and in Asia. So that's now a huge multi-billion dollar industry. Um, the problem is that there's not enough of that stuff to meet the world's climate problems. So we're constantly pushing into new types of, of waste streams. And as a business, that's taken us into all sorts of crazy sort of environments. So we've started working a lot with, with the water industry. So when you're purifying water for use as um, you know, household use or industrial use, you're removing a lot of gross stuff. Yeah. And that gross stuff has a conversion factor into, into energy. And again, when I started out in this business and spending a lot of my time covering agri agricultural feedstocks, it never occurred to me that this is kind of where I'd be following the wastewater industry, going around treatment plants, sewage plants, all this kind of stuff. And again, it, it's not the most glamorous part of the business, but it's an extremely important component of the international energy eco economy now. Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, like you said, it, it's taking what used to be trash in many, many ways and finding better ways to use it. And, uh, yeah. you know, every conference I go to, and you might uh, tell from the background noise, we're, uh, we're <laughs> at the end of a conference here, but, um, yeah, you just find more and more pathways for the way people are turning technology to use these assets. And then it's not going into landfills and other things, which is, a, you know, again, hopefully a positive, you know, for the economy in total. And that's a really good, that's a really good point. So, again, one of the growing areas of this business is businesses that are investing in ways to convert trash heaps into fuel. So, I mean, everybody's seen Back to the Future, right? Where, where they're, they're putting the banana skins and, yeah. and, and the trash into the car and then it uh, goes off and well, traverses when, time. When you gave the date uh, before of the, um, you know, when our uh, environment was going to be too hot, I was thinking, guys, is there another movie? Was that Back to the Future 2? You know, <laughs> we have a specific date because we just had Back to the Future 1 last year. Yeah. So... So, so yeah, so, so that, that movie's an interesting one because you watch that and it's science fiction when it was released in whenever it was, 1980-something, but now it's actually becoming a viable part of the energy economy, which is companies that are taking trash heaps and you're doing a bunch of different things that, that are beneficial. You're, you're reducing uh, methane emissions from trash heaps you're freeing up land potentially, you're stopping plastic from going into the oceans and polluting you know, the marine environment, which is, there's those statistics out there, which is every fish has like however many microns of, of plastic in it. And, and again, none of this stuff is, is a good idea on, on many different levels, but let's not forget human health is, is an important factor here. Nobody wants to be eating fish that has got heavy content of lead and plastic in it. So if we can prevent that by turning that stuff into low carbon aviation fuel, if, and if I can do something through an information business to help speed that, then, uh, then that's where I want to be. Yeah. So you're obviously, there's so much information that uh, Prima Marcus is looking at. If you were to think about over the next six to 18 months, what do you, what do you see, you know, not, um, Maybe in terms of legislation, but trends and what else do you see coming about the market? 
Um, so we see exponential growth in demand from uh, companies which are increasingly taking it upon themselves to do the right thing to position their businesses for a low carbon future. They want to be able to buy clean product um, and that's driving a lot of um, development on the supply side. We recently became part of uh, an organisation which specialises in wood and again um, it looks like we are going to move into a world where biomass of all types of different descriptions is going to be pulled into new uses mm -hmm. so you know fueling air airplanes is a big one so in, in years to come we will see um, the aviation industry moving away from petroleum jet fuel and starting to use lots of different solutions um, and, and, and again, it's a fascinating area to work in and watch develop. Yeah, I mean, we see it now even with your, um, you know, you have the option, depending on who your travel agent is, if you still use a travel agent, to buy a SAF type ticket. So we got about 30 seconds. Just close a little bit about Prima and uh, appreciate you joining us, Matt. Yeah, so uh, Prima's been, uh, been a great ride. It's been super interesting doing everything that we've done, building up the company and my, my basic opinion is that, that, that the best is yet to come, that the, the industry is growing super fast and I'm looking forward to working with it for you know, the rest of my career to help us get from where we are in terms of emissions to where we all need to be for a better future. Fantastic. Um, really get a sense of, of good business intelligence and market research can do for you. So, Matt Stone, uh, thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3. We'll be back next week. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps $5 minimum balance required. Is there chaos in your closet? Look, Blouse, you've got some nerve hanging there like that. I can't help it. I'm jammed in here next to this suit. Hey, I'm a three-piece, all right, which means I need a little more room. You've got a lot of attitude for a linen suit. I'm a polyester blend, sweetheart, and there needs to be room for men's clothes, too. Hi, I'm Christina, and in Artisan Custom Closets, we help families organize and simplify their closets with customized storage solutions. See what's possible for your home at artisancustomcloset.com and then call us for a free in-home consultation. 